Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Maybe you look back and you remember the day that you met Jesus or maybe the day that you were baptized and, and walking so full with him. And you wonder, how can I get back there? How can I get back to that place? Today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a passage in Scripture to see what God has to say about this. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 11 through 16. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 through 16. The Lord's response to Solomon. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. So just to give you a little bit of background on this passage, we are at a time in history in this passage where God's promise to Israel had mostly come true. The descendants of, of Abraham had become into this great nation. And the people of Israel had been delivered from Egypt to Israel, to the promised land. They were now in the land that was filled with milk and honey and all these things. And then when God chose his king, which was King David, he chose his king to be on the throne forever, meaning the future Messiah, Jesus, to come. King David, during the time of his reign, he was tasked to fight so many wars to expand the territory of Israel to the fullest extent of that which was promised to them. And David fought all these wars. And then when David died, his son, Solomon, became king. And do you remember what, what uh, Solomon asked God for? He asked for wisdom. And during the reign of Solomon, the nation of Israel, the, the, the kingdom of Israel, it had reached its apex. It reached its glory days. It was in its golden age. They were living at their highest place of wealth and power and prestige and, and authority. And at that time, they were a top world power full of might and influence. Now, at that time, they had finally reached a time of peace after so many years of war. And then Solomon was tasked with this great responsibility to finally build a temple for God. 
a temple, a permanent place of worship so that they were no more in tents or moving around anywhere. And this temple structure that Solomon was tasked to build was one of the most magnificent structures on earth at that time. It was constructed with magnificent and precious jewels and, and metals and fabrics and, and craftsmanship from, from around the world. This temple was supposed to depict the throne room of God and what that looked like represented in heaven. So after it was constructed, they had this great procession and brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. The Ark signified the presence of God. And when they entered the temple... The glory of God, says, filled the temple like a great thick cloud. It was so thick you, could, you couldn't even see it. His glory and his presence had just overwhelmed the place there. Then after it filled the temple, Solomon then prayed a, a great prayer of dedication on behalf of all the people, consecrating the temple and the people to God. And then that temple served as a commercial and social and cultural and religious and spiritual center of the nation of Israel for many, many generations to come. What does consecration mean? Consecration means to set something or someone apart for God exclusively. To set something or someone apart for God exclusively. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are forgiven and you are cleansed by his blood. And then you are set apart, covered under his righteousness. But unfortunately, although the temple and the people had been consecrated to God, King Solomon and Israel took their great blessing that they had received for granted. And doing so, put them in a very dangerous and precarious place. The people and the leaders of Israel, over time, they had fallen away from God, fallen into sin, fallen into pride, fallen into greed. And instead of worshiping God, they started worshiping other idols and, and other gods. And over time, all the blessings that they had accumulated started to unravel slowly but surely, one by one. And that happened, and then for, for, that went on for several generations, and several generations later after this happening, the city was destroyed, and the temple was abandoned and destroyed too. And it got to the point where the people were left exiled as slaves to a foreign land. You know, if we are in Christ, we have all once made a decision to be set apart too. But over time, many of us have drifted away. Many of us have, have lost our first love, forgetting the day we first met Christ, maybe forgetting the day of our baptism, forgetting the, the joy that we once had. And instead of filling ourselves with God's best, we started to fill ourselves with the world's best distractions and diversions and, 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 and things that, that, that are competing with us in the world. Popularity, prestige, and pride. And oftentimes our lives have been left looking no different than others in the world. 
to complicate things even further, even amongst believers, as we've seen over this last year of pandemic, there's so many people that are living in a state of fear, living in a state of confusion, living in a state of hearing competing voices and sickness and darkness. And never before in history was there ever more of a need for spiritual awakening in our hearts than right now, amen? We are a people in need of revival. And over the course of the next several weeks, this summer, we're going to be in a new sermon series called Summer Revival to learn about through scripture what revival is and how we can hasten its coming. So first, what is the basis of revival? The basis of revival is relationship. What is revival? Oftentimes when we think of revival, we think of some like 19th century camp meetings or tent meetings where there's a fiery preacher and a lot of people are praying and turning their hearts to Jesus and all that. And, and, <clears throat> that's, <clears throat> and that's a part of it, but it's actually so much more than that. Revival, if we can define it, I, I've looked at different definitions of revival and kind of put it together. Revival is God's work of reanimating the living body of Christ from a, from a state of spiritual decline to a state of spiritual hunger, exhibiting humility, repentance, and obedience. Revival is characterized by a spiritual awakening in the life of the believer and a recommitment to mission and evangelism. You know, the word revival means to recover or to restore something. So who is revival for? Who is the recipient of revival? And the answer to that is this. Revival is for you and me. Revival is for the believer. In God's response to Solomon's prayer, as we've seen, he says, if my people who are called by my name, underline or highlight the word my, there is a specific emphasis on the people who profess God's name and bear God's name. And in the church, it refers to us, the believers, the followers of Jesus. You know, there are three times in the, in the Bible in which, which the believers are referred to as Christians, first in, in the church in Antioch, and then next when Paul is talking to King Agrippa. And then third, in 1 Peter 4, 16, it says, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Jesus says in John 16, to those who bear his name, in this world you will have trials, in this world you will have sorrows, but I have overcome the world. Take heart. It is a guarantee if we are following Christ, if we are doing his work, we are bound to face Troubles for bearing his name. But the good news is this. God is waiting to bring revival to his church. God is waiting to bring revival to his church, to the people who who love each other, to the people who unmistakably look like Christ, to the people that behave like Christ and who love like Christ, to the people that bear Christ's name. And it is with that 
in mind that God calls out to his people, my people, those who are dear for him. So who is revival for? Revival is for the believer. Now, can we have a revival whenever we want? Can we say, hey, at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a revival? No, not really. You see, for us believers, we've been tasked with the responsibility and the privilege to carry out missions and evangelism and to love our neighbors and, and to do all these things. And we take that very seriously. But, but we can't manufacture a revival. A revival can only come through the sovereign move of God. God visiting his people under his place, under his circumstances, and under his timing. We can't manufacture it. But can we play a role in its arrival? And the answer to that is yes, we can. The burden of revival is prayer. The burden of revival is prayer. When we look in verse 14, it says, Then if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. Prayer is the burden of bringing revival. Prayer is a burden of bringing revival. There's one author, Leonard Ravenhill, that states, the church is dying on its feet because it's not living on its knees. How true is that? You know, as believers, we want the blessing, we want the feeling, we want the excitement, and we want all the benefits of revival, revival, but we don't want to bear the burden of revival, to be on our knees, to be praying in humility for that to come. The verse states, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their ways, then I will hear them. The Hebrew word for humble in that passage is kana, which basically means to, to bend your knee, to surrender and bend in subjugation. There is a burden of prayer when we pray for revival. And that burden is a, is a humbling brokenness that we have in prayer. Old authors call this the bending of one's heart and the, the bending of one's will. Humble prayer requires a holy brokenness, surrendering the spirit to the spirit. And as we've studied back in James in the previous sermon series, in James 4, 6, it states that God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Now for anyone trying to challenge God or resist God, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you will never win. In Luke 18, 14, Jesus says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what does it mean to pray in humility? What does that mean? There are a couple things that it means. To pray in humility first means to have selflessness in prayer. You know, oftentimes when, when we pray, a lot of times our prayers are focused on ourselves and our problems and our situation and everything that, that we are, are dealing with. But we need to ask the Spirit to also not just, not just pray for ourselves, but give us conviction on, on praying for others and having our eyes fixed on others around us in our church and in our community. 
Praying in humility also means to have persistence in prayer. The verse talks about seeking the face of God. Seeking is not something that you just do once. You do it continuously. Seeking the face of God. In persistent, it involves persistence. Jesus illustrates this with the story of, of the friend that went knocking on their neighbor's door in the middle of midnight asking for bread and kept knocking and knocking and knocking. And Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. When Peter was in jail in, in Acts, he was in jail. The believers were praying for his release and it says they were praying without ceasing. And eventually their prayers were answered and he showed up at their door. We are called to be persistent in prayer. To pray in humility also means to pray in holiness. In James 5.16, we learned last Sunday that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And we saw that illustrated with Elijah's prayer for rain. You know, every revival historically has involved confession and repentance and obedience under the Spirit's conviction. So why do we need to seek revival? What happens when, when revival comes to, to our hearts as individuals and, 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 and God's community as a whole? The effect of revival is blessing. The effect of revival is, is blessing. As we look at the end of verse 14, it says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. You know, there's an author, though, he states that God is far more ready to bless then we are ready to receive his blessings. Isn't that true? It is in the nature of God to want to give and to want to bless. In Psalm 84, 11, it describes that the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. And we also know this from the New Testament in Romans 8, 23. It says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give everything Give us everything else. God gave us his son. He's ready to bless us. He's ready to walk with us. When there is revival, what happens is, is God's presence breaks into the life of community with great blessing. Revival brings an invasion of, of God that brings a, brings a conscious awareness of his presence in our hearts and in our lives. And at the moment of, of revival, when we experience it or when we experience it in community, there is nothing else that matters except for Jesus and his glory and his name. When revival comes, it means a couple things. When revival shows up in our lives and in our community, things come back to life. God's word comes back to life. You know, every revival has brought with it a new desire to study the Bible, to study the word of God. Forgotten or neglected scriptures and teachings and passages are brought back and resurfaced and rediscovered and brings fresh conviction and brings fresh, fresh instruction to a new generation. And we're going to see that in, when we read about Josiah next week. God's church also comes alive. Instead of the church, instead of all of us being passive, we truly become the salt and the light of the earth. 
God's work comes alive. The byproduct of every revival has been a new thrust and a new launch pad for missions and, and evangelism, both locally and globally, thereby leading to more disciples and churches and baptisms to come. And lastly, when revival comes, God fellowships come alive. As we saw in, as we see in Acts, in the early church, the, the church, after they, they had the Holy Spirit, they gathered together to pray, to teach. There were signs and wonders. All the believers were united, and they would dwell together. They would share each other's possessions, and they had a joy to be in each other's lives. And the question I want to ask, for you, ask you this morning is this. Are you ready for revival in your heart? First, think about some of these questions. As a follower of Jesus, do I believe that revival is for me, not just for someone else, but for me? Do I believe that God can restore me and revive me from the place that I am to the place where I need to be? Next, am I willing to take on the burden of revival? Am I willing to take on the burden of revival in prayer? For revival to come not just in my own life, but in the life of those around me. And third, am I willing to live my life in expectancy? In expectancy of God's great works, in expectancy of blessings that God could bring to my life, to my family, to those around me. That God brings when revival comes. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up and to start getting ready for the next song. What does the passage in 2 Chronicles mean for us as New Testament believers? What does it mean? In verse 16, it says, For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. You see, God longed for Israel to turn their hearts back from sin and to turn them towards him. He longed for them to come back home to the place of blessing so that they could be a blessing to all the nations on earth through Christ his son. And as we've seen in this passage, he always left a way to come back home, but it was up to them to say yes. You know, in the New Testament, we know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are dear to his heart. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been set apart and consecrated unto God. Maybe you have drifted away. Maybe you have lost your first love. Maybe you've lost your passion for Christ. Maybe you've fallen into sin. But remember that our God is kind. He is just. He is merciful. And he has left a way for you to come back home. He's waiting. He's willing to restore you. He's waiting and willing to revive you. And when you pray in humility, in repentance, in confession, and we humble ourselves, he has promised to hear us and forgive us and bless us again. Amen. Amen. Let's be the church that gets on our knees to pray. Over the course of this summer, we're going to be having prayer nights every Wednesday, either in the Mawa campus or West Milford campus. We're going to just have a 
time, if, if, if one person comes, if a hundred people come, we're going to be on our knees. We're going to be praying in, in confession, in repentance, asking God to move again as we prepare for this year. I want to invite you to be a part of that. So why do we do, why do we have revival? What do we look for? And as you know, today is a baptism Sunday. We look forward to revival, to, to see baptism, see new life happen. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be seeing our brothers and sisters be baptized. Now, these are your friends, your, <clears throat> your co-workers, your neighbors, people that you have been discipling, your people of peace, people that have been discipled here at the church that are making an outward symbol a decision, an inward, they made an inward decision and, and they want to be baptized publicly to show what that is to the world and to proclaim it to the world. As we begin this day with baptism, uh, the, during this first service, we have Christine Irving that's going to be baptized. Let's give her a round of applause. <clears throat> so I'm going to invite Christine, maybe you can come over here and stand over there. And we also have a few friends from her missional community group. If you guys want to come up, uh, those are people are going to be coming here to share a few words of encouragement. You can come over here on, on the right. Um, you can just stay there. I'll go over here. So um, this is a really special day um, for many of us. Many of our stories are intertwined with one another. And uh, for a lot, of, a lot of individuals, God's been moving in their hearts, pushing them toward Christ, but at the same time, there's been community coming and, and, and meeting them. So uh, we're so grateful for Christine. Uh, I think she's, she's been a part of our church for a while, and uh, we know that, uh, that I think our stories first intersected during Hurricane Irene. Was that right? Yes, that's where we first got connected. And for those of you who don't know, Christine and George and their family are a big part of the community in Mawa. They serve everywhere. No matter where you look, you find Christine volunteering for something uh, in the community. And, uh, and uh, I know Christine, over the years, she's been part of a missional community group here at our church, Growing with the Lord. Uh, she's been serving as a connector. She's been greeting so many of you as as they've been walking, walking in, uh, you see her smiling face, helping people get welcome to the church. And more, most recently, we've been part of a gospel primer group together. Where we... It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.